morning. How are you? I'm not Brave the cold, and um, that you've come to worship the Lord with us this morning. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you that we have the honor, the privilege, the blessing, oh, the grace just to come into your presence, Lord, in worship, that we can sing songs of adoration. We can gather with uh, other believers that... Uh, uh, agree and that we can sing aloud and we thank you for this lord we thank you that you promised that you'd be present father that you promised that you would be here um uh, when we gather together in your name and that you're right here in the midst of us so we just welcome your presence in jesus's name <clears throat> amen Jim, down, down a little bit father <clears throat> ah, sorry keep praying there <laughs> uh just during worship i uh had a sense that, uh, you know, it's a new year, and we're talking about our core values, as I introduced last week, and these are things that are central to who we are as a church and our message and how we function. <clears throat> but I really sense that uh, there's that God is doing a new thing, and I don't know if you're aware, but uh, all, all over right now, as a matter of fact, in, in the U.S., as, as well as all over the world, God is moving in a powerful way. And, and revival is stirring in many, many different places. There's a number of places some people may have heard of what's happening in Kansas City at the International House of Prayer and then at Morningstar down, in, uh, down south. <clears throat> but uh, places where uh, God is showing up in a powerful way and thousands of people are gather, gathering just to worship and uh, people are getting healed. Uh, many of you know what's going on in Bethel. Uh, a church in Redding, California with Bill Johnson um, and uh, uh, just two of our members are there as students but uh, in a school that has a couple thousand students and God's just showing up and doing miraculous healings and people being restored to the degree that literally revivalists have never heard of before. <laughs> okay, Miracles on the level. I'll never forget Bill Johnson sharing... <clears throat> that uh, um, this was a few months ago, that they, they've had so many just strange healings that this one woman who was born with deformed feet, and so her feet were like this big, and God grew her feet out so that she, her, her feet would be normal size. He says, now that wasn't really too weird. <laughs> he said, but what was really weird is when she got her shoes that God had enlarged her shoes. Yeah, and you just go, okay, either this guy is just lying. <laughs> He's making this up. But, you know, when you have, I mean, these thousands of people in this room, and there she is, you know. And many people had, had, had experienced, you know, it wasn't private in some room. It was in the middle of a big thing. And just every week, constantly, God is pouring out and doing healings. Uh, and this is not only in the U.S., but all over the world. And so I just had a sense this morning that <clears throat> God is doing a new thing. Uh, behold, uh, all things have become new. And I, I looked up this this verse in Isaiah 
Behold, the former things, this is Isaiah 42, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And this, and then I looked up, and the, the first verse is actually a verse I reference in my outline of, of, of God's favor on Jesus. It's a quote from the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New Testament. And, you know, the new things that God is doing, and, and I want to declare that God has new things for us as a church. All right, and for you as an individual, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been coming to this church or church in general, uh, um, or maybe it's just a few days or a few weeks, maybe it's years or decades. God is something new for you because that's part of God's nature. All right, it's part of His character. He declares new things. God is not limited uh, by the past. Amen. God is not limited by anything, right? And so you are not, if you're in God, then the past, your past, is not your limitation. Alright? It's the foundation from where God can take you and take you to wherever He wants you. As long as you stay with Him, God's got new things in store for you, new things for us as a church, and that's exciting. But there's also the dynamic and the truth <clears throat> that we don't. There's an Old Testament law that you do not tear down uh, the ancient uh, uh, landmarks. Uh, and, and, and there's there's things that have happened in the past. And there's there's just foundational truths that we don't forget. And when we forget what God has revealed in the past, then you can lose what God has for you in the future. Right? If you forget some of the main things that God has laid down, He's, He revealed some of these truths to position us to walk into our future. He's revealed things to you individually to position you to be prepared, to be able, to be ready, to be equipped, to be uh, and do what God has called you to do. But if you forget, if you lay aside truths and revelations, and, 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 and experiences that God has led you in, and then you, you can lose your future by forgetting your past. All right? So the, your past doesn't limit your future, but you can lose your future by forgetting the lessons, or forgetting the message, the truths that God has laid down. And does that make sense? Yes? No? Hey? Good morning! You guys need more coffee in the morning, I'll tell you. <clears throat> All right. So one of the, the foundational truths that God revealed in, in uh, my life and our, our uh, fellowship of churches is this idea of the fire um, uh, values. And the fire stands for the Father heart message of God, intimacy with God and one another, uh, restoration of uh, our emotional, spiritual, and physical wholeness. It just means healing. And, and then extending His kingdom through the empowering works of the Holy Spirit. And the FIRE acronym works good because FIRE is a symbol uh, that uh, and literally it often feels like FIRE. There's been times where I've felt um, <clears throat> that I've been on FIRE uh, and you feel the fire of God, and it's uh, Moses encountered God, encountered God in the burning bush, and and so it just really worked as a as an acronym for our core values. The first one being the Father Heart of God, and we talked about last week how Jesus, the very first words that Jesus said uh, when he was uh, left behind. Uh, Jesus was one of the left behind. That's interesting. <laughs> he lingered. It said he lingered in the temple. Let's linger. Who wants to linger in the temple? Come on. Who wants to linger in God's presence? 
It's interesting that uh, uh, Joshua, uh, it says Joshua in the Old Testament, who was Moses' assistant basically, uh, would, uh, Moses would spend time in the tabernacle uh, in the presence of God and then he'd go back to the people, but Joshua would linger in the tabernacle. And Jesus lingered. I never connected those two. That's interesting. Lingered in the temple and, and, and <clears throat> his parents found him and said, you know, uh, wh- why are you looking for me? Uh, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And how we uh, found that that means I must be in or about my father. That, that was his identity. Uh, Jesus knew his identity. It was defined by being in the Father. And as we studied last week, that the word business is not in the original Greek. It's just uh, English trying to translate the idea. And it literally, it is in or about my Father. And Jesus said, don't you know, I, I need to be in or about my Father. This is what I'm all about. This is what I'm all about. And uh, his, and it actually says in the text there in, in Matthew, <coughs> or in, uh, in, the, in whatever verse it was, Luke <laughs> 2, 41, it says that his parents didn't understand what he meant. But Jesus understood that that was his identity. <coughs> and if you would turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we'll try to move forward. Matthew three seventeen. Uh, now this is, uh, <clears throat> the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So now he's a man. He's no longer a boy. He's grown up. And this is the beginning of when he uh, uh, begins to preach and perform miracles and step into his, his calling. <clears throat> and uh, it says in verse uh, 13, we'll start, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, John the Baptist, uh, um, at Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come, you're coming to me? And John recognized that Jesus was uh, uh, Christ. And, and Jesus said, answered and said to him, Permit it uh, to be so now, for thus it is fitting uh, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. <clears throat> so Jesus was water baptized in the Jordan River, immersed. Uh, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Wouldn't that be cool? How many want to see have something like that happen, huh? (laughs) And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so not only did Jesus as a boy know that His identity was in the Father, but here we have it confirmed by the Father uh, publicly uh, and to Jesus that He is uh, God's beloved Son. The word beloved there is agape, which is the Son of my love, the Son of uh, my, my, my dear Son. It's just this intense uh, expression of favor and love. And the Father <clears throat> says this before. Everybody say before. before. Before Jesus did anything. Up until this time, up until this point, he was just the carpenter's son. He was a kid growing up in a small town. A lot smaller than Kalamazoo. Alright? He was, you know, it, but the favor and the identity of being God's Son was in Jesus and it was confirmed by the Father 
Jesus didn't have to prove it. In fact, Jesus then left from that point and began to do all of the works that are recorded in the New Testament out of His standing or His relationship of being loved by the Father and knowing that in the Father was a place where He found rest and His identity. And that enabled Him to go out and do all the things He did. And often Christians think that, boy, if I do this, if I do that, then I'll feel loved. Or then I'll, then I'll be a son or a daughter of God. And we get it reversed. <clears throat> Are you hearing me? Okay. Boy, if I read the Bible enough, if I, if I, if I you know, could talk about the Bible like so-and-so, if I could prophesy like so-and-so, if I could pray like so-and-so, if I, you know, if I could worship and be uh, uh, free and worship like those those people at church then i would then i would then i would know god more like no 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 it's the other way around you need to accept who you are who god has made you and from that flows all of the works out of that god can be free to use you and and reveal himself to you our identity our identity just like jesus jesus's ministry flowed out of his identity as god's son our identity defines all that we are and all that we can become. Your identity, who you are, defines all that you are and all that you can become. Jesus' identity was centered on His relationship with the Father. Listen, Jesus is perfect theology. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. I don't know who's that a reference to. Pentecostal. Okay. I'm just trying to get your attention. Jesus is perfect theology. He is the embodiment of truth. His life is the commentary by which we understand the rest of God's Word and God's works. His life is the commentary by which, through which, we understand the rest of God's Word and God's life. Jesus the person. We know God through Jesus Christ. Right? Alright. Our relationship with God must therefore be patterned after Jesus. That's why we pray we want to be like Jesus. Because Jesus, and, and in this aspect, Jesus defined His identity by His relationship with the Father. He did not define His identity by His relationship with His natural parents or His family. Now that's not to say those are not important. But we understand that I'm not limited by what my, my natural father did or my natural mother or the, or the limitations of the household I was raised in. You know, those influence me, but those don't have to limit me when I come into my identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Does that make sense? And there's just such freedom that you can experience when you come into your true identity uh, and you define yourself not by... Uh, your natural attributes, but by what God has called you to. 
what Jesus did, his works, he didn't define himself or he didn't see himself. His identity wasn't formed by what he did or his job. It was defined by his relationship with God the Father. It wasn't defined by what car he drove, what sandals he wore. You know, did he have the latest model donkey? I don't know. What, what was the status symbol in his day, you know? How many sheep he had. He defined himself by his relationship. Okay, how about John 20? <clears throat> Turn to John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 17. I want to bring this to us. <clears throat> 2017. Now, this is at the end of his life. Uh, in fact, this is after Jesus died on the cross and after he spent uh, uh, three days uh, in the ground and after his resurrection. So here Jesus is resurrected and he's speaking to the women who went out to his grave. And in verse 17, it says, Jesus... Um, <clears throat> You know, Mary recognized him. Jesus said to Mary in verse 16, Mary, and she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Excuse me. <coughs> and Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. And I don't know if you can appreciate the impact of these words, but when Jesus was a boy, He said, don't you know it must be about my Father's business? And, and, the, and God showed at his, uh, up at His baptism and declared uh, from heaven that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But here, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and He's speaking to his, uh, uh, one of His disciples, <clears throat> he, says, he says, go tell the rest of My disciples that I'm going to My Father and Your Father. Alright? You see the shift there. That, uh, that now he declares that it's not only just his father, but it's my father and your father. So through Jesus, we're brought into that same relationship, okay, that we can call God Father. We can share in Christ's identity as God's Son. In fact, we can share in his identity as his beloved son or daughter, beloved child, his agape. It's, his agape love has brought us into that relationship and it can shape our life. This is the message. This is one of those foundational truths that God has restored and is restoring in our day. That we, If we can understand this on a, on a real gut level, on a spirit level, if your spirit can understand that you are and that your identity is a child of God, that you are, uh, that you are a co-heir with Christ, all right, that changes everything. It changes you on the inside so that your outside reflects that inner change. Jesus, we talked about this last week, that Jesus found his rest. The idea of I must be in my Father, that, that it was a, it, it denoted, it, the word that he used denoted a rest, that he could rest there. It was a place where he felt comfortable, where he fit in. And through Jesus Christ, Jesus declares 
when he said it to Mary, go tell my disciple I'm going to my father and your father, he's saying you're brought in. We're brought into that same thing. And that's why this is so core to our identity as Christians and as a church. Because this truth and how this truth affects how we live and how we function as a church is really, is really fundamental, okay? That we do things not to prove that we're good enough or not to demonstrate our Christianity or not to, you know, just work hard enough that we're His servants. No, we serve Him because we're His sons or daughters. And it's out of love that we, we minister to Him, all right? Not out of obligation or out of fear or out of just because it says so or following the rules. It's like, no, it's because this is who I am. All right? It's who I've been born to be. John, uh, Romans, uh, Romans uh, 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And in the NASB, different translation, it says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery. A lot of people think of Christianity as slavery. They just have to do all the right things. And when something goes wrong in their life, they go, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I make a mistake? Oh, I don't want to make a mistake. I'll be punished. You know? Come on. I know that's how many of us uh, look at Christianity. And as long as we look at Christianity that way, it's a slavery mentality. And that's not the spirit that God has given us. Uh, Romans 8.15 in the NSB <clears throat> says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy God, Abba, Father. Matthew Henry, an old commentator, writes about this phrase. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Listen, he says, men may give a charter of adoption, but it's God's prerogative when He adopts to give a spirit of adoption. The nature of children. All right? All right we, and we have this idea of adoption from, the, from a legal, uh, our societal aspect of adoption where you take someone who doesn't have parents and you bring them into your family and there's some form which gives you legal rights over them but you know uh it's it's their adopted child you know and and we know that there's there it's not the same dna and we can love them and i i know people that have been adopted i know parents some parents here have adopted children there's just there's equal love there but god takes it to a different level and that he actually puts in the spirit of being a child, all right? Does, does that make does that powerful? God can put in the spirit. It's just not a legal thing. It's a spiritual thing. We have the nature of a child. The spirit of adoption works in the children of God, a filial love, a, a love, a, a, a family love to God as Father, a delight in Him and a dependence on Him, upon Him as a Father. A sanctified soul bears the image of God as the child bears the image of the Father. In other words, you look like God. Sheba. Come on, baby. <laughs> he looks like his father. He's got his father's eyes. Why? Not because of some legal document, but because the Spirit of God is in you. 
as a son or daughter. She looks like her, her father. Wow. Here's a little tidbit that uh, I think is kind of interesting. This phrase adoption, it actually is, is a translation of, a, of a, a phrase that literally means placing as son. Okay, putting in the place as a son. And in the Roman culture, not in the Jewish culture, but in the Roman culture that uh, Jesus uh, was raised in and Paul was writing in, um, <clears throat> this actually I'm going to read from a, um, a, a reference book, Vincent Word Studies. It says, The Spirit of God producing the, producing the condition of adoption, which literally means a setting or placing, the placing one in the position of a son. Um, some scholar illustrates Paul's acquaintance with Roman law and says, in the commentator, he quotes another resource, says, the process concerning legal, the, the Roman law concerning adoption was, okay, the process of legal adoption by which the chosen heir, so he was already an heir, but he was selected as the chosen heir, the one who would inherit, just like David chose Solomon, and many sons, a king would cho- choose a particular one. The chosen heir became entitled not only to the reversion of property, but to the civil status. In other words, to the burdens as well as the rights of the adopter. Became, as it were, his other self, one with him. Okay, in the Roman world, when, when, when uh, this term to place as a son is not just to adopt an orphan into your family, but to choose one of your children and give them the full authority and responsibility of the household. So that that heir could have full authority to do anything with any of your property from then on. Alright? It's turning over to the point where they were one. All right? Doesn't that sound exactly what Jesus said? I and my Father are what? One. All right? And this, this, this act, when Jesus came up out of the water and God said, Behold, my beloved Son, that was very similar to the ceremony within a Roman family that would declare that this is the chosen heir. This is the one. This is the one that has equal access to everything I have and everything I am. Alright? God recognized Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Messiah. Equal. Philippians says it wasn't robbery for, God, for Jesus to consider Himself equal with God. And God confirmed that. And in the same way, He says it to you. Alright? Jesus' prayer in John was that, that, uh, that you would be one even as my Father and I are one, that we would all be one together. Because we're all part. We have that same spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, that we have His Spirit within us. Alright? <clears throat> There's lots of things that compete with our, uh, uh, compete for our identity. Alright? I want to bring this kind of close up here in the application. Because as you go through life, you, you might be able to get a, a hint of a revelation of this. But this, this idea of understanding yourself in relation, primarily in relationship uh, to the father as his son or daughter, 
is life-changing and has actually rocked the world theologically and, and how the church interacts with God. And it's, and it's leaked into every different kind of uh, uh, theological uh, uh, persuasion, all the different denominations. It's everywhere right? because it's something God is revealing. And we are, need to be brought back into a right relationship with the Father. Jesus came to reconcile us, reconcile the world unto Himself, unto God. All right? No one gets to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And so Jesus' purpose was to bring us back into fellowship with the Father because it's only when we're in right relationship with the Father that we can really rest and that we can be who we're called to be, we can become who we're called to become, and we can, that we can function, we can do what we're called to do. Does that make sense? Is that good? <clears throat> All right, and there's lots of other things that compete or place demands or expectations upon us uh, <clears throat> for our identity, our work, our, our social status, how many friends we have on Facebook, our profile picture. Check out my profile picture. I happen to like it. <laughs> I just changed it last night. My wife thinks it's a good one. My daughter thinks it's a good one. So now you all want to check, check it out. Check out my Facebook. Leave a comment. T- tell me what you think. If it's good. <laughs> oh, we have a relationship. We have a resting place in the Father. We have a relationship where we no longer see ourselves as slaves or even servants, but as honored place as sons and daughters with the living God. And, <clears throat> and when, when other things, when, when other things try to compete with that truth for your identity, like maybe the way you look, or other people's opinion of you, okay? Or how productive you feel you are, or how much money you have or don't have, okay? How popular you are, how happy you are, how you happen to feel at the moment, even your physical state, your health or your sick. What's going to define you? What are you going to What are you going to dig down deep and find? And I encourage you to dig down deep and find out that you are a child of God. You're beloved. You, you're, you're not only, you know, Jesus, Jesus went to His Father and your Father. His Father and my Father. And that, that we have access to the Father through that understanding, that belief. That you believe that. And out of that belief, it dictates how you behave. Does, does that make sense? I would not do that because that would be dishonoring to my father and I love my father so much. I would not even think of doing that or that. And I'll do this because it brings, because I love my father. My father is in me. That he becomes our daily resting place. That we, like Jesus, he forgot his natural uh, uh, relationship or his natural affections and he lingered in the temple. And you can linger in God's temple. You know your body is supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you can just you can wait there, even if you're you know doing housework in a, in a working place. You can nurture the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now this is how you apply this word. <clears throat> Take time to set aside the stress and demands of life, and come back to the Father and develop a relationship through prayer, through soaking, through word, understanding His word. Dig deep 
into that and understand your identity as a son or daughter of God. And ask yourself, how might this affect my life? How might it affect uh, how I behave while I'm at school or at work? How might it affect how I spend my money or even make my money? How might it affect what you do for entertainment? What TV shows you watch or what internet you click to? Because it does affect. It does affect. And if you're doing things that you know would dishonor your father, it's because you don't know your father well enough. You need to allow that identity to come and change you and be released. Father, just let's close them here. Father, we do pray, Lord. It's such a, I feel like I've done such a feeble uh, attempt at trying to communicate such a grandiose, an awesome message. And I would pray that Your Spirit would take some of these words that I've said and cause them to go deep so that there can be transformation of our inward being through the Word of God. That we can live free. That we can live happy and be all that You've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Adam's got some announcements.